0: The Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am thrilled to welcome Dana Cameron to the podcast today. Dana writes across many genres, but especially crime and speculative fiction, including the Fangboard Urban Fantasy Series. Her work, inspired by her career in archaeology, has won multiple Anthony, Agatha, and McCavity Awards and has been nominated for the Edgar Award. Several of Dana's Emma Fielding archaeology mysteries appear on the Hallmark Movie and Mystery Channel. When she isn't traveling, she's weaving, spinning, or yelling at the TV about historical inaccuracies. Her forthcoming book is Exit Interview, which is a thriller. Dana, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, I love talking about writing, and uh, you play an important part in my Sisters in Crime History, Um, So, and we'll get to that. But um, let's start where I always start on these podcasts. When did you say to yourself, I want to write a book?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I had wanted to be a writer when I was very young, uh, like as soon as I could read, four or five, something like that. Um, But then through... Heaven knows what. I'm assuming it was cartoons. There was this whole notion that a writer had to uh, it was the Hemingway-esque meme, the idea that you had to run with the bulls and you know, (laughs) go to war and have bar fights in order to have things to write about, which I was really not interested in doing. So I forget I can't do that. (laughs) I can't be a writer. Um, so and then archaeology sort of came up. I'm like, oh yeah, this is all the things that I love. It's it's reading and research and travel and languages and people. Perfect. And it was when I was working on uh, an archaeological site in Maine uh, with my boss, and a guy came out there with a metal detector and started sweeping the site, which is illegal um, on state property in Maine, unless you have a permit, which of course we did. And um, my boss, he started digging, my boss uh, called him out and said, you can't do that. And he pulled a gun on us. And that was expressly, exactly the kind of experience I was hoping to avoid, um, And for a few moments, we didn't know whether he was going to shoot us or not shoot us or what all. And I um, made sure that I could memorize his license plate and everything and um, what he looked like and sort of said, "Okay, that just happened. He left. We informed the authorities, whatever. But then when I went back um, to work at the museum uh, the the following fall after the dig, I was going for a walk with a friend of mine. Janet Ray Stevens, who I think is also a member of Sisters in Crime, New yes, England. Yeah. And I was telling her and she goes, this doesn't happen to people. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. It happens to me and my friends all the time. You know, there was the time that someone got, I know, got shot at out in the Midwest because they were digging too close to someone's hidden still. And there was a time in New Jersey when <laughs> uh, a uh, a cement truck rolled over off the highway, onto the site where we had been digging. And if we hadn't had a late lunch, we might not be having this conversation. So, yeah, it wow. happens to us all the time. And she looks at me and says, this doesn't happen to normal people. You need to write this down. <laughs> and all of a sudden, boom, uh, that longing I'd had when I was a kid, um, I had a story prompt, a guy with a gun mm-hmm. uh, and a metal detector at an archaeological site. I said, okay, well, I guess I'm going to do this. And wow. so I started doing it in secret while I was still working in the field, just sort of, you know, see if I could do it.
0: <laughs> and was it always crime fiction for you?
1: Um, I think so, because I read so many mysteries um, mm-hmm. growing up, and the whole archaeological community is obsessed with mysteries and loves mysteries. And so when something, yeah, something new came out, people would be swapping it around and everything. and it And it gave me the structure to work with as well, because it can have... Also, it's a cool idea, but unless you know a way to organize them, it's Mm -hmm. not going to work out. So crime fiction was a really great place for me to start because I understood the tropes and Mm -hmm. uh, the structures.
0: Yeah, there's so many great series with archaeologists and, and, you know, there's and you're right. I mean, that field is all about figuring out mysteries like what's this from and, you
1: know? right and what does it mean when it's here you know yeah. it, it might mean something in one concept in something else in another context but yeah well you were mentioning this i mean i was so glad i hadn't read elizabeth peters and her mm-hmm. amelia peabody mysteries because i wouldn't have bothered Right, because she did it all (laughs) she had the mystery right she had the history right of course she had the archaeology right because as Barbara Mertz right really accomplished Egyptologist so I was glad I came to them after I started writing because otherwise there's no way
0: (laughs) (laughs) well you you have a different place but but her series are definitely amongst my favorite um, series yeah she was she was really wonderful um so Dana how did you learn the craft of writing I mean, cause it's one thing to say, I mean, lots of people say, Oh, I've got an idea. Not all of us have a gun pulled on us at work, but, <laughs> um, but you know, how did you sort of build your craft from that?
1: Part of it was having done the reading. And I think, you know, reading hard, um, in the genre you want to write is so important because you see what things that you'd like, things that work for you, mm-hmm. things that don't necessarily work for you that you might want to tweak. Um, some of it came from looking online um, and seeing, you know, what people had to say about writing mysteries. And um, part of it was starting off by attending New England Sisters in Crime uh, mm-hmm. and getting to hear what the writers there said uh, as I was just starting out. Uh, and it's it's good to have a community, uh, whether it's a writing group, whether it's Sisters in Crime or MWA or something online, mm-hmm. with whom you can run your stuff past. Because it is a uh, key to getting the take from someone outside your head. Mm-hmm. Someone who can give you a different perspective on it and let you know what's, what's working well and what isn't.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, as you're trying to figure out how to tell the story and you're learning and you're doing things, you have a scientist's brain, like right? You have your archeological brain. Did you have to un? learn things or did, did it work well together? I don't even know if that makes sense, but it's, it's, I always find it interesting talking to people with their careers and how that sort of influences how they approach these things.
1: No, no, it makes perfect sense. And there is, there are two elements to that. One of the, um, things I did when I I started writing was I, uh, looked for a writing program to get Mm -hmm. more and more, um, complex and nuanced criticism and i went to the Breadloaf writers um community mm-hmm. or, or pro- program and um was working with world-class writers and it was terrifying because i had my little archaeology mystery i'm like ah but it was funny because it was mostly the students who were snobby about it the mfa students who were there all the instructors were like cool you have a story this is the stories." structure and framework and this is what you need to think about Mm -hmm. so one thing was that uh, my instructor there told me well wait a second um this doesn't make sense what what career do you have I'm like I'm an archaeologist like oh you couldn't tell from reading this because I don't have any of the details about being an archaeologist and -hmm. I'm like oh that's because my friends my family my colleagues all know these things yeah and I thought it would be uh too much too much detail he says but no you Um, He says, your reader wants to go along with you on that particular thing because people think archaeology is cool. I think archaeology is cool. cool. And so remembering that not everyone knows what's in my head or, or the experience of working on a dig. The other thing was, and this still catches me up today, is I have to remember I'm writing fiction. And I'm usually writing some kind of adventure fiction or mystery fiction, and I can't make it a dissertation. I can't make it a formal <laughs> academic paper with all the footnotes, though I, I swear I'm going to do that someday. I'm going to have footnotes. I know a lot of fiction writers do that. I'm kind of yeah. obsessed with the notion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I have to make it fun. So I have to have just enough detail to make it to situate the reader in the work boots or the uh, library chair, the archaeologist. Um, but not so much that it's like. and then we uh, we we set up a grid with this many meters by this many meters and, and attack uh, attacking each level at uh, five centimeter. you know and people don't need that. You right. need to know about the precision, but you don't need to know that level of detail. yeah, so those are things to remember and unlearn at the same time. But one of the fun things I realized um when I was working on uh, one of the Emma fielding books, the um the fugit- uh, a fugitive truth was so I had I'd created this this journal for Emma to discover and later on I was doing some of my own research and I'm like oh it was that journal it was so good it had such great detail I'm like ah, I made that up I can't use it in this job <laughs> that's cheating that's not right
0: <laughs> whoops <laughs> um so how what was the journey like as far as how long did was it when you sort of said, okay, I'm going to write this to, you know, it's a book?
1: Um, wow. Well, it was a couple of years. Uh, mm-hmm. I started, I think, sometime in 1998. Does that make sense? And uh, I found my agent at Breadloaf, my first agent uh, at Breadloaf, shortly thereafter. And the first book came out in 2002. And I had gone through several drafts on my own and with my writers' critique group, and with a, um, I took a, an adult ed writing class um, at one point, and they weren't doing genre fiction, but my writing group came from that, and they were they were really helpful and really mm-hmm. instrumental with me um, giving me that feedback I've been looking for. And the first book came out in 2002. The first two books came out in 2002, so it was pretty short. It felt like an infinity, you know, an eternity to me. And um, but I'd gone through several drafts on my own. I started writing in the third person, and it was boring. <laughs> and I realized, okay, if I'm bored, the reader is not going to stick around <laughs> for this. So I'm thinking, well, what what do people like about my writing? That's not my academic writing. I'm like, well, they think my emails are funny, and they like talking with me. So if I put it in the first person, mm-hmm. ah, and that's what worked for Emma and me because I was better sort of uh walking around in her shoes as it were and all of a sudden her personality started really coming out um she, I think of her as like an older sister to me and we're always doing horrible things to each other <laughs> but, we, but we're friends <laughs> again in the end um so and then I had to do a couple of drafts for the agent and then she took it out and then a, a couple drafts for the uh for the publisher it was at uh, at Avon Yeah.
0: You've mentioned a couple of times, and I think it's worth having a conversation about um, the non-genre writers or the MFA um, snobbery that can exist. And I think that, I think it's getting better, but uh, you know, many of us have encountered that, you know, been in a, taking a writing class or, or done something. And um, there's an anti-genre bias, even though folks like Kate Flores said that literary is a genre as well (laughs) um so can you talk about that because that's an act you know you've also been in academia I mean it's all part and parcel of the same thing but um that can also be very difficult to find people to talk to about your book if they are have a bias against genre
1: yeah, and I think you're right. Um, I agree that it's getting better. I know that um, there are a couple of programs that focus on genre now, yeah. which is fabulous. Uh, I think they're like low residency and, and everything. Yeah, so which is really great. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is terribly important because it's another great environment to learn to write. Um, and everyone learns a different way. Uh, but I would run into, as I mentioned, you know, students uh, at the writing class or at Breadloaf. I'm like, oh, I wrote a mystery once. I'm like, so what'd you do with it? Oh, I never finished. Well, then you really didn't write a mystery. I got quite (laughs) snotty, but, and you know, um, (laughs) someone might be shocked if they didn't already know me. (laughs) Uh, But it's difficult because like people, when people talk about it as trashy fiction, I'm like, well, I think if you're talking about things like justice and what's just and what's legal, and what's right and what's wrong those are mm-hmm. huge questions if you want to look at romance which is another thing people love to dunk on and i think that is really incredibly unfair it's like if you want to look at women signing up for their own adventure and thinking about different ways that they can take charge of their personal life or you know you know a certain element of swashbuckling if you're looking at the period um uh romance writing uh romances i i have i think that's awesome science fiction we have some of our best conversations about uh social issues happening today by talking about what's in mm-hmm. current science fiction mm-hmm. and that's hugely important because it gives people a way to talk about these things when it's not immediate to them mm-hmm. they can talk about it in a little bit in the abstract where they can be a little bit more comfortable ta- challenging some really complex and um complicated and emotional subjects mm-hmm. and so when people get surety about that i'm like well you're calling me non-literary i'm not writing in numbers i'm not writing equations here <laughs> uh and yet you know i'm not comparing myself to uh, shakespeare and homer but i will point out that they wrote horror fiction yes. of sort monsters and and you know being stranded on an island while your enemies are pursuing you while your daughter's being attacked i mean that's pretty horrific stuff and it's even speculative fiction yeah. um and so the idea of putting a uh, uh, you know, having a bias against genre fiction, I think, is really short-sighted. And I th- mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I think it's I'm very happy to see that people are becoming more and more willing to consider the fact that this is a way of looking at subjects that we all need to deal with or want to deal with in some way or explore on our own.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, a, a great piece of writing advice for for folks who are working on getting a group together is if you've got people in your group who are... Um, literary snobs, that's not your group. I mean, that's yeah. that they're not going to help <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. I mean, th- there's there's good writing. And if you're looking for good writing, you can find that in anything. I find a lot of stuff that gets touted by a lot of um, you know, the traditional rather stuffier MFA programs to be really, I don't care. I have no investment in this. Um, I don't need to go on this journey. and it may be technically beautiful or have insights and things, but we're storytellers.
0: We mm-hmm. tell stories,
1: and if you're not going to bring people along with you, then I don't feel like you're really successful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you got to you got to bring the people with you, and you bring your readers with you when you're telling a story. I think.
0: Now you have, and you do write in different genres. Yeah. Um, what's your process like? Is it the same for all your different? you know, the different ways you write? Do you write a mystery differently than you write your speculative fiction, different than you write your thriller? I mean, are you a plotter? Or are you a pantser? Talk to me a little bit about your 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 process. Uh,
1: my my process, I I know people, I love the word pantser because it says you're flying by the seat of your pants. <laughs> you're, you're sort of at the whim of, of where the, the writing takes you. Um, but yes, an organic writer, I am a chaotic pantser, as a matter of fact um I write out of sequence I don't write I don't know what's happening in the beginning of the book necessarily or at the end of the book necessarily if I have a writing job and it doesn't matter what the genre it's in I will think of the first scene that speaks to me and write that down and so I'm I'm sort of seeing it as a movie in my uh in my head and then I say oh well that's cool how did the people get here yeah and what what are they trying to get to through here and what so that gives me the different steps and it sounds terrifying to a lot of folks who who outline in fact i was sitting next to terry brooks who wrote the shanara the sort of shanara series at a convention and he looked at me he says "Writer's like you terrify me <laughs> and i'm like you know i'm not telling you to do it but it, it, you know if you're right handed or left handed it, it doesn't matter what hand you're writing with as long as you get the grocery list made you know what i mean yeah yeah um the cool thing about that conversation is that two young women came up to me after and says oh my gosh thank you so much for saying that because we didn't think we could be writers because we don't write in order and we don't know where we're going yeah and I think that's really important to realize that it's not a matter of which is better it's which works better for you and the time you spend outlining gets uh is sort of more condensed and right there at the front where and the time that you spend just writing the scenes and rearranging them and seeing how they fit together uh is just a different distribution of that time Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the way
1: i think makes it sound least chaotic to people is I say that um, each scene I'm writing is like a bead and so I'm organizing them to make a necklace that will yeah. hang together will have a kind of um, aesthetic appeal will have a nice balance to it and that sounds less intimidating than I'm, like I don't know I, I just I just write the first thing that comes to my head yeah. and uh, see how it fits to the next two things next to it
0: and do you write in word or do you use
1: Scrivener or how do you how do you write I write, um, I write in a WordPress processor. I write in the, um, Libre. I'm not sure what the name of the software is, but it's the, it's the Linux brand okay. uh, software. Yeah. Um, and it's just the blank screen and me. Um, if I get to a hard place, I will take out a yellow pad and my pen instead of just write notes and draw pictures and it's all over the place. And that will usually help me figure something out. But I, I tend to write straight at the keyboard, um, unless I have a, an idea. And I have so many things—bits like of uh, receipts and napkins from train rides and plane rides. It's like, oh wait, this is an idea. And, and bits of paper. People give me notebooks, and they're very kind. But it's—it's it's all going to end up in a pile on my desk of little <laughs> scraps of paper with ideas. But I, I try to—I um, try to write um, when I'm on a project. I'm on a deadline. I try to write every day during the week. Uh-huh. Um, I try to get four pages. It's been harder um recently with the pandemic and things being in such upheaval and all but mm-hmm. uh, I'm finally coming back to it and it's such a relief because I'm like oh my gosh it's gone it's gone forever but I think that's the thing everyone knows when they've written more than one yeah. book it's like the next book's like wait a minute how did I do this I know, <laughs> every right? single you know, time, time. Yep. Yeah,
0: yes absolutely so my fear um is to cut and paste and lose stuff. And I, I had, a, I did a podcast interview with Amanda flower, who's mm. also a chaotic pantser and writes in word. And, you know, I just, the thought of trying to move things around. Um, so hats off to you. And I do think it's going to inspire some people out there to do it, but um how do you keep it all in your brain? I mean, how do you know, all right, I wrote the scene, where is it? Or do you like leave space in between or assume that it's going to go there? How does that work?
1: I I cut and paste. I, um, I once I have enough that I can sort of understand, okay, this thing has to happen before this thing. Mm-hmm. And this thing definitely happens somewhere, but not before it. So probably after it, but I need to find the things that connect it. Um, so there is a lot of cutting and pasting. There is occasionally the fear of losing something, but I also, I have two files. I have one, which is the file with the manuscript in it. And the other is notes and thoughts and things I've cut out that I might need to like, oh no, I didn't think that was going to work, but now I can put it back in because I have it. Right. So there's a lot of redundancy. And I think part of that is, it comes from my archeology span background. Um, where you, you, take your notes, you have the, the, Area leaders notes that are overarching everyone's else. You have a lot of redundancies to keep track of where all the artifacts are, where they came from. So that's kind of second nature to me. But there have been moments where I'm like, "Oh, it was really good." Now, did I write it down? Did I just think it? Did I dream it? <laughs> yes. And I think that's not just that's not something that's necessarily um yeah. restricted to just panthers. I think no. everyone has that.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Or it's it while you're doing dishes, it sounded so brilliant, and then you go to write it down, it's like. It is not brilliant. I don't yeah. know where um, I
1: lost it, but it, it, I mean, <laughs> sh- I wake up, I'm like, oh, okay, I had this idea, and I and I write it down. I'm like, well, you know, that's so and so's book, don't you? Or it's, it looks <laughs> remarkably like the television show you were watching last night.
0: <laughs> you know.
1: Oh gosh, that's no fun.
0: No fun. Although no. you know, I don't know. There are only so many plots in the world, and you know, sometimes you can be inspired by things.
1: Absolutely. Oh no, there are. I think. Um, the stories that I love so much that I'm like, if I could find the right vehicle, I would totally love to tell my version of it. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think everyone has done that since people have been telling stories.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? I mean, you brought up Shakespeare earlier. He, he, we told stories from his point of view, so it's not historically accurate, some of it oh, um, lord, no, no, but he was also an entertainer. I mean, he I think he would have been writing speculative fiction now or or something else. he He was all about the groundlings. He was all about entertaining people, right?
1: right. And he had such a good way. I mean, he'd have the stuff that he was playing to the cheap seats, as it were, yeah, um but he was also political in terms of catering to the Elizabethan court and putting the tears yeah. in a very good light. Um, but he also, I mean, you were talking about historically accurate, no heavens, no good Lord. No. Um, but also, uh, looking at, I mean, Macbeth yeah. is a crime. It's a mystery. It's a, you know, are they yeah. going to be caught? it's a thriller. It's, um, he, he knew, to he knew how to, uh, how to catch folks. Yeah. Uh, and, and keep them uh, enthralled which is something yeah.
0: that's but, actually mean, my favorite I mean I love Macbeth I I, uh, I just think it's a great play it's also his shortest so that's probably the <laughs> reasons. but uh, it's it is all those things it's it's you know and and motivation and you can depending on how you direct it or how you cast it you can have a different way of looking at it it's it's a it's powerful
1: stuff yeah and yeah. you see the different interpretations of it and you think there was a really fantastic uh group of black actors who from a troop in south africa who were retelling it in terms of apartheid and 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 uh mm. warfare but also making um uh, macbeth and lady macbeth super young super ambitious super sexy and it was like wow yeah as opposed to folks walking around in tights and striking a pose right and declaiming or you know different ways that people have used it to talk about uh conflict or ambition it's just it's everything but these are stories that people have been telling one way or another since you know sitting around the campfire and trying to keep the night at bay you know yeah
0: yeah and speaking of keeping the night at bay and talking around the campfire you write um your fangborn series you write you know horror-y speculative you know different different kinds of of um, of uh, fiction. Um, tell me about that journey. What's that, you know, it, was this something that always interested you? Did you sort of, you know, I mean, you hang out with some pretty good, <laughs> um, um, cross genre writers. So that did that inspire, like, tell me about how that all came about.
1: It's, it's funny. Usually it's been because I've been lucky enough for someone to say, Hey, would you write us a story about this? Yeah um that's how I started writing urban fantasy was Charlene Harris and Tony Kellner asked me to write a werewolf story at Christmas I'm like wait a minute I, I run to the my library and say okay where are my reference books on werewolves because <laughs> that's where I start <laughs> and it took me a good solid sweaty 15 minutes of like oh god I don't have any reference books on werewolves what am I gonna do until I realized. Idiot! (laughs) You've written six novels. This is fiction. You can just make it up. So that's why I always said, "Oh, how can I have fun with this? Yeah, and how can I turn the the tropes on their heads and have fun with that?" And then it just started being more and more fun. And I wrote more and more short stories until finally I'm like, "Okay, I figured out the novels and how to look at them." Um, Horror is the same way. Uh, I was, you know, someone invites me to write a horror story. I'm like, "Gosh, I don't know if I can do that." And then I would remember like walking um my husband and i go for long walks at a local farm that's open for folks to go hiking and and trail walking and such and thinking oh gosh this is really kind of grim this is kind of fabulous setting and then realizing that same winter the first weekend it snowed. We're all joking and saying, "Hey, yeah, uh, good to see you out with their shoveling and everything," and going and having like roast pork and brown liquor afterwards. It's very snug and cozy. <laughs> and the second week is God, this is a drag, isn't it? And we're all starting to get a little bit tired of the snow. And the third and fourth week, it's like, okay, who has supplies of food that we can raid <laughs> if we're never, if, if winter yeah. never ends? Yeah. And that gave me a way of thinking about. Um, a, a village that is isolated and for a good reason. And mm-hmm. what happens? And that was, it's, you take the little bits of things that are grim in your life or that spooky you in your life and say, Oh, how can I make that into something bigger? Yeah. Cause you have to feel it a little bit first. And then if you manage to, my, my goal is to, to, to scare myself or go, huh make myself, you know, think about things I'd never thought about before. If I can scare myself, my husband and my agent, I'm happy. <laughs> Because <laughs> I know that they know all my tricks, and I know all my tricks. So if I can come up with something that's different, that I'm, makes me really satisfied with a piece of work, <laughs> and it's it's all it's you know say another part of it is is not just to be asked to write something, which is lovely. It's say oh I could never, and as soon yeah. as I say oh I could never do X Y and Z, I'm like well I'm going to find a way to do it now. Yeah, um, yeah. It's sort of challenging yourself, challenging myself. Yeah. So
0: you're also a Sherlock Holmes fan. I am, yeah. Yeah. And does that, uh, you know, those books are so important to, you know, reading about the history and and you know, early. Does he, Arthur Conan Doyle, influence you as well?
1: Oh yeah, Um, I, I set one of my Fangborn stories in the world of Sherlock Holmes, which was a lot of fun because it gave me an excuse to get find answers for Arthur Conan Doyle's plot holes. But they were Dr. Watson's editorial decisions. Yes. You know, um, the, the reason that people talk about the fact that Watson's war wound from Af- Afghanistan moves around. First it's in his the shoulder, <laughs> then it's in his leg. So what's the explanation for that? Well, clearly, you know, Sherlock Holmes is a vampire and is changing his memory. And so it's getting, he's done it so often that he's a little bit hazy on how many wives he's had and what their <laughs> names were uh, and where his wounds were. But I've also written a short story for Laurie King and Leslie Klinger. And it, it really brought to the fore the thing I find most interesting about the Sherlock Holmes canon is that why are these two well-educated gentlemen? And even if they were broke, they were you know, born to a certain class and had a certain right. set of elevated manners and behavior. Why are they interested in spending all their time with the least um, good people in London? They're always looking for the worst, whether it's people who are common thieves and murderers or the worst among the elite. Why do they spend their time doing it? And to me, that's noir. Mm-hmm. They're both dealing with um, deep-seated personal issues as well as economic issues Mm -hmm. and if you look at victorian england from a a real historical perspective it's a pretty grim place for most people yeah and being able to explore that was a lot of fun i've got uh plans for a couple more short stories but um it's just the chance to mess around with characters that you love and put them in your world Mm -hmm. or Think about what the world might have looked like if uh Dr. Watson wasn't so intent on selling something to the strand, you know, to, <laughs> to you know, to keep things and going at Baker Street. Um what's the real story behind what happened yeah, there?
0: Yeah. Do you like um you write a lot of short stories, but you've also written novels. Do you have a preference at this point, or do you uh, you know, do you because it's a different skill set not everyone can do both of these things so and you obviously have the skill set for both so is you know during the pandemic were short stories easier or
1: thank you uh that is i never expected i'd be writing short stories because i find them terrifying um they're very hard i'm very i'm much more comfortable with them now but it's a lot to communicate in a very short space, mm-hmm. and people who can do those and, and write flash fiction or, or just super abbreviated fiction is like hats off. Um, but I like them for different things. I like short stories now that I've stopped being terrified and have have had some experience with them. Um, I'm like, oh, this is a way to try out some ideas, mm-hmm. um, and it's a it's a different thing. And usually, I play around with a character in two or three short stories. And then, oh, maybe there's enough for a novel here, yeah. Um, which is something I've done with the Fang Warren, it's something um I did with um with uh Jane, the uh, covert operative who figures in my uh my novel Exit Interview. Um, I wrote a number of short stories with her, and it's like, you know, I don't think I like her, but I find her fascinating. She and I are complete opposites in so many ways, but there's something there, and it's going on that you know, that um, wish fulfillment thrill ride with a character who's very super confident and doesn't have as many quibbles about how she gets things done. Yeah. Same thing with Anna Hoyt, my, um, my 18th century um, tavern owner. I wrote uh, a short a couple of short stories for the City Noir series, and then a few for Ellery Queen. And um, next year, I hope, I'll be bringing out a whole Anna Hoyt novel. And wow. yeah, she's she's difficult. Um, and I'm not going to go into why because it might be spoilers, but it's um, you realize that she has a choice. She can survive and thrive on her own terms, or she can give into all the forces mm-hmm. around her, her husband, the local thugs. There's no support for women of any kind right. in that period. No no police force that, who might not necessarily have been on her side at the time. And what is what is a person willing to do to to, um, to keep alive and, and uh, find their own way in the world?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so it's it's nice because I get to try on little things like, oh, that's interesting. Can I mess more with that? Or mm, this is a once-off. We don't want to go back to this again because it was like yeah. it was a it was an odd enough turn that would be extraordinary even in that character's life. Um, but beforehand, I. Yeah, I never would have written an Emma Fielding short story. I wrote a couple since the novels, but at the time I'm like, no, this has to be a novel because I have, I, I write only in 300 pages or more. You know, <laughs> At that point, it's you know, everything happy birthday notes, memos, lists, dissertations, it was all 300 pages. So novels seemed the way to go. Give me enough room to mess around. But now the idea of being able to take that character out of that short story and say, oh, now what happens in the long term
0: with mm-hmm.
1: that? It's um it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. It's sort of a proving ground for so characters. Let's,
0: let's talk about the thriller because Ooh. this is uh you've written series and I love the story about short story, you know, your history of short stories. And I I also, as a reader love when characters come back or they meet another character in a short story. Writers can have such freedom with what they can do with short stories that editors don't always love. Um, (laughs) That's true. true. You you can do whatever you want in your short story. Um, But talk to me about the thriller, because that's a different a different journey for you as well. And I was, is it a standalone or do you think it might be a, is she going to be come back or, you I, know? I guess
1: depending on how many, how many people enjoy, you know, going along the adventure with her, it is, thank you. It is, uh, something I started playing around with, um, when I was working on the Emma books, um, when you write a traditional mystery or a cozy, or in my case, a, a soft boiled or medium boiled, mystery, because a little bit of yeah. action and I'm not quite as, um, what's the expression that I think it was Agatha Christie uses like the blood has already dried on the library floor when the (laughs) yes yes or or someone has uh, writing in the style of Christie and I, I began to realize that if my character um if Emma Fielding the archaeologist was going to continue to use her skills to solve crimes I needed to give her a way to protect herself so I started taking mixed martial arts and it got me thinking about the different ways that people carry themselves and present themselves in the world and how you by just changing your posture, you can influence the way that someone encounters you and maybe decides not to mug you or mm-hmm. decides not to catcall you or something. And so I started playing around with some of that. And I started playing around with the idea of someone who didn't always second guess themselves, because I always do that. I think I think so many folks, but especially writers I know, Second so guess themselves all the time. And I wanted to write a character in that that thriller vein who is supremely confident and competent. Um, so they they know exactly what they're doing, they know why they're going to do it, and they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And it may not always be legal or polite, let's say, or polite, or legal, or um, and so many things, but it's sort of going along for that, like, okay, I'm just gonna go and watch this person be a badass and enjoy mm-hmm. that for a while. Yeah. Um, and that there were a couple events that uh, Sisters in Crime and MWA uh, New England had up going to the shooting range. Mm-hmm. And guns terrify me. I disliked them intensely, except going to the shooting range was so much fun. And it made me think about the responsibility of using a gun, owning a gun, all that sort of thing. And it just, it was one of those things that gave me a lot to think about. And suddenly I had the idea for a reporter who would be exactly the opposite of this covert operative who is no longer officially employed, shall we say. Um, and the two of them need to work together. And I'd have something big enough that both of them would respond to and could w- negotiate. But part of the fun thing was for me to have my reporter, Amy Lindstrom, saying the things that I would say there are, you know, there are ways to deal with this. There are, and the other character, Jane says, no, I'm here to deal with it i'm the only one who can so i'm going to um and so that was just a lot of fun to, to have that dialogue with myself through those two characters yeah and and then like uh write a lot of action scenes because i learned uh writing the emma books i really like writing action scenes i would say i'd see her i'd have her like observing the murderer or a suspect and say, okay now's the time we run and call the cops or try to get cell service or something and she'd be like running towards them going to tackle them like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> so she was f- physically more adventurous and brave than i am yeah and it got me thinking it's like okay well what's a what's a good fist, to fu- fist fight look like what's a what's a gunfight look like does a you know a kung fu style fight look like and then just loving action movies and being able to to play with those in the books really helped me that was the place i started and then feeling in the philosophical and the um the opposing views and everything and the two characters really was how that worked out it's just like writing action scenes are just it's just the best fun
0: <laughs> um and so with the thriller the structure well i'm gonna let you explain the difference between a mystery and a thriller as you define them because again this, yeah. this is conversations that writers have for hours but always, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah.
1: if we don't if we're not talking about writing then we're talking about the best thing that someone wrote that you wish you'd written which yes drives them crazy <laughs> um it, for me a thriller is your protagonists are trying to stop the thing from happening yeah in a mystery the thing has happened and everyone has to find out who it is uh who, right. who's responsible for it with the thriller it may or may not be known who the antagonist is, um, and there might be a mystery with that. But it's trying to stop the next worst thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there's an, and there's an element of that in mysteries as well. It's like, oh no, the first suspect was first was just killed. So who is it now, and am I next? Um, so for me, it's like having the the worst thing you can imagine, and. And the, the great thing about that is that I can usually think of a really, really bad thing that I would hate to have happen. And then I run it past James, my husband, and he says, Oh, I can top that. And, he, and it'll come up with the really worst thing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> thanks. I'm gonna steal that and, <laughs> and 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 put my put my spin on it. But um we have a lot of gruesome conversations, it <laughs> <that> seems <things> like. <laughs> um so yeah, I think it's that rush to stop the next worst thing.
0: And I find with thrillers, um, sometimes the reader knows more than the characters or or has because they're getting different pieces of information whereas in a mystery the author is trying to trick the reader all the time and misdirect them so um you know it's just a different a different experience and certainly there could be elements of both in different things but um are you were you happy with that? It's hard to write a thriller when you're a mystery writer. Were you um thrilled with trying or or how was that experience for you of of sort of shifting gears yet again?
1: Yeah, it was um it took a lot of work. Uh because you're right, there are they are very different. It's a very different tempo. Um you're trying to play fair with the writer as a mystery, uh with the reader as a mystery writer. Um, but misdirect them, as you say. With this, with a lot of thrillers, they're written in the third person, and you're going from mm-hmm. one character's point of view to another. And I had messed around writing it from Amy, the reporter's point of view first, but I really liked being around in Jane's head and how she looked at the world because it was so different. And I'm thinking, oh, if I can get those two voices different enough, it won't be confusing if I change the first person every chapter because you, you can have one character thinking about the other and vice versa, and also have the character um having the adventure, doing, you know, performing the action. Mm-hmm. And what I realized that um I started writing this a while back. The technology had changed so much in just a few years. I'm like, oh, I need a third character. Um, someone who knows the technology, someone who's not necessarily completely of Jane's point of view, and certainly not of Amy's, but someone who adds a different voice to the conversation. And um, and so I came up with Nicole, who is um, a former colleague of Jane's, uh, who doesn't think much of her. She refers to her as cave girl because Jane's first goal is to punch someone or kick them or cut their throats. (laughs) And Nicole says, look, there are more subtle ways we can do this by erasing (laughs) them electronically from the verse. You know, we can set them up with their own. Enemies through misdirection and technology, why would you expose yourself to that? And so having those different, sometimes overlapping and sometimes not, uh, points of view is a lot of fun. And it took me a while to figure out how to balance them mm-hmm. and make sure the voices were different enough mm-hmm. and that the characters had enough in common and enough that they disliked about each other or how each other did things to make it interesting.
0: And so are all three points of view first person?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it was easier. Uh, I started writing Amy uh, in the first person, and that was fine. But I really wanted to go on the adventure with Jane because Amy was more, you know, thinking and typing is not, does not make a thriller, <laughs> you know. Um, and so to go with a character who is more rooted in action as Jane was, but then also thinking about Nicole is this very uh, brilliant and very graceful, and this very, she has a really, aesthetically elevated way of looking at the world she at one point she's in the office and she's doing her government job and she goes on a riff about how um the building is intentionally drab so it's not noticeable but she says, but drabness is so uh distracting and you know i need beauty in order to create really wonderful ideas and i don't find it here and you can see now that i've been thinking about this for so long i can tell that it's distracting and she has this way of of elegance about her in her both the way she approaches her problem solving Mm -hmm. and in her own the way that she would choose to live her life and so if she's very graceful and poised and jane is all action and fisticuffs and shortest route and amy's like but we need to think about these things and we need to do that then that was how i was able to sort of braid those narratives together Mm -hmm. um and uh it was fun it was challenging
0: and you wrote this is in the weeds, but this is a writer's podcast, so we're going to do it. Ooh. You write in scenes. <clears throat> do yep. you... So you you may group together three scenes from one point of view and make it a chapter? Or do you switch within a chapter to different points of view?
1: No, no. Each, each, chapter, each chapter is one right. point of view. Um, that was the least uh, confusing way I could think of to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially since I'm writing it in first person, because I really... Um, it was a good way for me to get the action embodied in the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just, in this particular case, I liked that connection because it was like the different parts of me having a philosophical argument about how to do things Mm -hmm. and be, um, be a good citizen And, uh, so that was it, but it was, it took me a while to work out the mechanics of that and, you know, we'll find out whether I was successful, but it was, it was a lot of fun and I'm, I'm really happy with it because it had all the questions I wanted to ask are asked and whether they're answered or not is a whole different story.
0: Well, Dana, a lot of times on this podcast, we talk about this, that your writing journey has to be what brings you joy. The publishing journey is (laughs) is great and it's part of it, but you can't define your success by your publishing journey necessarily because there's so much that's out of your control. Yeah. You know? Um, And so you just sort of have to take it and embrace it and go, but, but keep challenging yourself as a writer and keep writing.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah that's it exactly yeah um i you know i think everyone has the idea or i did because i started about gosh just about 20 21 years ago next month um was the, when the first book came out and so you know 20 years ago i imagined it looked an awful lot like uh, romancing the stone where uh <laughs> Joan Wilder is having long, boozy lunches with her editor. And, you know, it's a deeply personal, you know, relationship and you know, encouraging and coddling and trying to find her a man as well, which, you know, um, <laughs> a product of its time, of course. But I also happen to think, you know, so one imagined, you think of the round table of Dale Gonquin and, and things right. like that, it's going to be that kind of lofty and very personal relationship with your, with your publisher. And sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just strictly business, which is great because, uh, you know, exactly what's expected and there's no blurring of, you know, there's no complication, um, of mm-hmm. a, a more personal interaction. Um, but I, I realized I, I had it all wrong because I hadn't met my, my first, uh, editor until we were like two years into our relationship. We'd always been yeah. through, you know, at the time, email and fax, uh, and phone calls so I, I, I learned about that and that was great. And that was, I really lucked out working with a traditional publisher first time because it was a real education and I got um, a certain amount of support, mm-hmm. but at the same time, that's not how things work these days necessarily. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of venues and there's independent publishing. There are small presses. I mean, I've, I've published with very small presses, with magazines, with large companies. I've done things that are only available electronically and, um, started, you know, uh, my own publishing company this past couple of years, just because it's like, well, I have these stories, people love the writing, but they find the characters, women, unlikable. And I'm like, "Mm, still not good enough reason. Right. Um, and so that's why I decided to take some of them into my own hands, but you, you never know what it's going to look like and you never know what's coming down the path. And that's both the horrible thing about being a writer and 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 trying to get published and trying to to get to know readers and have them know you, and it's also the you know it's it's the exciting thing and it's the terrible thing all at the same time, yeah. Um, because you, you think, you know, why isn't this happening now? Or why is this being held up by a paper shortage? Or why, why, why? And it, there's a yeah, I have this horrible, these horrible moments, and I never would have accused myself of having what people might call an artistic temperament, but also to be like. Moaning onto my, <laughs> onto my, you know, my long, and, 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 you know, bemoaning the fact that X, Y, and Z and James will come and look at me and go, so litter box needs to be cleaned <laughs> so, when you're done having your moments.
0: You know, um, we have a house to run. <laughs> we have a house to run. And yes, this is
1: this, you know, I I'll be complaining that the book is terrible. It's at my Frankenstein. I haven't, but I've got all the pieces stoned together wrong. He says, good. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, time for dinner and this is what you say always every single time you're at the end of a book so I know you're almost done yeah I I I, I don't think of myself as being that either that (laughs) dramatic or that predictable but apparently I (laughs) (laughs) um
0: well, he sounds like a good partner for a writer.
1: <laughs> he, he is. His his feet are very firmly on the ground, and he's very practical, and he loves uh, a lot of the same genres I do. Yeah. And so that gives us plenty of things to discuss and argue about, and, you know, um, and he is, he is my first best reader. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: As you've been talking about, um, you know, taking on indie publishing, I mean, that's a Different skill set again, um, because you yep. need to do or hire all of these functions that in traditional publishing, you know, cover and back cover and um, editing and copy editing and blah blah blah. Um, and you need to manage it all yourself. It was but again, I'm looking at you as the archaeologist. Was did that? sort of systemic way of approaching this thing that you knew and you loved you know did you find that it was um within your wheelhouse or was it a whole different skill set that you needed to explore
1: yeah for me it was a whole different skill set and if it was just me on my own I I probably wouldn't be able to pull it off as uh as easily and I, I use that word with with hate quotes around it uh, as as we have and um it's james who retired recently um mr g as he's known on social media uh has was always working in business and he has the head for that for how to manage a product uh how to think about cost and advertising and publicity and staging a product and who we have to talk to to do what and how much that's going to cost versus what are we willing to put into it um but with between the two of us, I knew the publishing industry better than he does, but he understands the business side of things Mm -hmm. better than I do. Uh I've been very lucky to have uh, advice from my agent, Josh Getzler, and the folks that he works with at HG Literary to give me advice about this. Mm -hmm. And um, between uh, having conversations amongst the, the three of us, I've learned a lot still outside my wheelhouse. I'm very much that academic who says oh yes well we get a grant and then we plant this thing out and they're like no it's not that leisurely a pace you have to think (laughs) about these things in organized fashion according to other people's schedules and I'm like oh well that's tedious um but at the same time um I've been lucky in that to have that relationship those relationships already built in uh the cover art I've had for the two books we've done so far the first one was pandora's orphans which is a collection of all the fangborn stories because that they were all over the place they were in magazines they were in anthologies so that was our first attempt was to mm-hmm. put them all together so the person who did the artwork for that and for exit interview uh was uh eric Nunley, who uh is another writer friend of mine we mostly know each other through the horror community and we were talking my james and i were talking about who to get and he says well you're wearing eric's design on your t-shirt now you have his artwork up hanging upstairs i think eric might be a good choice Like, yeah you're right (laughs) and i love his work yeah and i was lucky to work with uh, a developmental editor when i was working when i was writing the fanboard books at 47 north and he was willing to take me on freelance and uh that's been a joy because i really trust his take on things Mm -hmm. um and so that has really given me a lot of confidence and he just came out with a book called Um Nubia, the I think it's the the, the, the rising, that he co-authored with uh, Omar Epps. Oh wow. You know, Clarence Haynes. I'm like, yay, Clarence. <laughs> so he's having a he's having a really good time for himself now. But I um he, working with him has been a complete joy. And so when you have when you have those working relationships that you can you know you can rely on, it makes things a whole lot easier. But it's not something I would really uh, consider doing on my own without yeah. a lot of like a lot more outside help. So, yeah, I lucked yeah. out.
0: <laughs> well, we well lucked out because it's getting us something to read. Huh? Oh, thank <laughs> Coming you. out. Um, what do you, what's the best piece of writing advice and the worst piece of writing advice you've <laughs> gotten and, or what's the best piece of writing advice you give because you do mentor other writers and, and support
1: mm-hmm. other writers. Absolutely. Um, I'll start with the worst. And it was a it was an unfortunate um, uh, set of circumstances. I was working with a person um, much earlier in my career, and she would have me change the draft of a book based on the comments of the last editor who rejected it. And so if they've already rejected it, then there's no guarantee that changing the book with their thoughts in mind is going to help with the next person. And that really put me into a spiral. And I'd say... Yeah. Um, look at the aggregate of responses you're getting to a book, whether it's from editors or agents or your critiquing partners, um, and say, okay, I know that you personally don't love this, but everyone else thinks it really works. And if I tweak it like this, does that make it work better for you? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, oh, no, we're going to throw out that subplot and put this whole other thing in. And that was just, that was very dispiriting. Yeah. Um, the best I got, I think, was when I was at Breadloaf and working with um, David Bradley I had as, a, as my instructor and he was amazing he's the one who told me about you need to remember that other people aren't archaeologists but more importantly he said write about what pisses you off write about what makes you angry you can write about what you know and you get a couple hundred pages out of that but you write about what you get angry about and you can write thousand pages no problem and edit that down into something and so it's it may not be anger um i think at, at crime bake. i'm trying to remember who said it uh there was a fabulous author who said follow the joy Mm-hmm. And you talked about you know following the fun stuff as well, mm-hmm. and it's the stuff that evokes a really strong reaction in you. And I think that's some of the best I ever got. It's like, yeah, okay, I can feel fine about discussing this, but what really is going to get my passions ignited? Uh, and it's the writing advice I give people. Um, I was asked, I was in a terrible long line at the post office at the, about this time uh, a bunch of years ago. And there was a huge line, and ahead of me, a huge line back. When it got to be my turn, the postal worker looks at the package, sees it's going to New York to Avon or whoever it was at the time, and says, "Oh, so you're a writer? Tell me how you do that." And I'm looking at the people in back and be thinking they are going to shoot me if I if I give him a dissertation on how to. You know, I said, "Look, you um, you finish something. Yeah. finish a book, finish stuff." get a circle of folks around you who will give you honest and helpful critique, not just, you know, your, 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 your Nana, your mima, who's going to say, Oh, it's sweet. It's wonderful. It's I'm so proud of you say, otherwise like, okay, that's working. This isn't, and this is why I think, and you could do this, 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 give people who are going to read it and figure out how to help you make it the best it can do. Um, and keep looking for better and tougher criticism. Uh, not necessarily again mean-spirited but folks are going to be looking at it from a different angle right. and saying okay this is not what i was expecting and that's a good thing or this is not what i was expecting and here's why that doesn't work so mm-hmm. yeah finish it and get good, good good critique good supportive critique that you learn to trust and that's the other trick is to realize when to trust what everyone else is saying and when to trust yourself
0: yeah yeah and that's a skill that comes over time for sure oh, yeah
1: yeah. yeah and it's what i found is though you can ask and say hey i like this it, i'm not sure it's 100 percent. and then get get other people's reactions to it yeah. and it's like oh and they like well no it's not working but if you did this over here with these other characters you could have that yeah and that's it's okay to ask for help i mean it's yeah. a, it's 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 a requirement and you have to yeah and that's tough
0: yeah 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 what are you working on now
1: I am working on well, I
0: know uh, you're promoting a book so that is yes. <laughs> that does take time I mean we need to honor that I mean yeah. that that's a a different part but when you really want to get this baby launched you've gotta yeah. you gotta do that
1: oh um, I'm, I'm writing a lot of blogs yes uh, and which is great and uh, they always get me thinking about other things which I love about that um I'm planning online discussions uh there'll be one with Tony uh Kellner and Charlene Harris next week. And then the week after will be Tess Gerritsen and Bracken McLeod and Paul Tremblay talking about the relationship between uh, horror and thrillers. And Charlene and Tony and I will be talking about writing cross genre on Monday. So that's fun. Uh, But it is a lot of planning. And thank you for saying that, (laughs) acknowledging that. But what I'm working on is um, I'm working on doing some revisions to the Anna Hoyt novel, which I hope will be out next year. Um, I'm working on a short story uh, that is Sherlockian. Uh, in nature and i have a couple of things that i need to send out to folks so it's it's sort of doing that juggling act of like okay i'm doing promotion now which doesn't feel like work doesn't feel like writing work but it really is yes and say but at the same time oh i had this idea and i'll just dive into this file and write that you know, you know type that down real quick so uh in a couple of weeks i'll i'm gonna give myself a reading break and just like sit there and 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 you know read yeah. everything <laughs>
0: Um, and Anna Hoyt, just to bring that back again, you, that's a historical, <laughs> yes. um, which requires a ton of research. I mean, I I, people who write historicals I give so much credit to because it's you've got to get it right (laughs) Right? and you already said that you yell at the television when they get it wrong (laughs) so you're probably one of the worst people to even think about making mistakes has that again with your academic background or the way you think was was this something that um was joyful for you to explore or you know um did it have extra challenges
1: Actually, it was me um, attempting to weasel out of something. Uh, I uh, was asked to contribute a story to Boston Noir, which was a collection um, put out by the uh, Akashic folks in the City Noir series, and it was being edited by Dennis Lehane. So, of course, I'm like, oh, my God, uh, crime fiction. And I, I'm like, I 20th century crime is not my forte. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be writing with people who, for whom... It right. is their forte, right? <laughs> and am I going to write? Am I going to pick the neighborhood? Be Kenmore Square and write academic noir, which is a little bit too close to real life, and I didn't want to do that because <laughs> that would not be fun. Um, but then I said, "What a minute! What if I set it in the waterfront on the north end in the 18th century? Right? Um, a period with which I am really familiar, or was when I, back in the day when I was when I was doing that research." And I'm like, oh, it'll be the North End, and when people see the North End of Boston, they tend to think uh, organized crime or something like that. But it'll be, it'll have that template of the 1940s noir, where you have an embattled blonde, and uh, who may or may not be reliable, and she has, she actually owns outright the tavern in which she works, which is a huge thing for a woman in those days. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I can talk about all kinds of mayhem in the 18th century. Yeah, and I said, Let, let's hope it doesn't get rejected out of hand. And I had just enough of the noir elements that, um, it made the, it made the cut. And it, that was the one that got the, the Edgar nod, um, lost to an amazing writer, Luis. Ullier. I could not be happier to be someone cause he's just an astonishing writer. But, um, that gave me a lot of courage to keep saying, Oh, I can play around with my instincts. Cause mm-hmm. I have some. So for me, it was like, at the time it was me cheating because I'd already done that research. Um, I happened to have um, been working with a friend who did her MA on 18th Century Tavern. So I had been getting, you know, uh, mentoring wow. her. Yeah. And so I had the, the stuff right there. And these days when I work on an Anna story, I have to go back and double check and say, okay, is there anything else I need to be thinking about these days because um, interpretations change, new yeah. evidence comes to light. So for me, it was it was very comfortable. Um so I write it first and be I can be fairly sure that I get it mostly right and then go back and double check it cuz I'm completely paranoid. Yeah. About
0: that. <laughs> well it sounds fascinating and Thank um you. Mm-hmm. and also that's a boston history is interesting because it is um it is unlike other cities at the same time we'll do this and boston just did something a little
1: bit different yeah every time every, yeah and a lot of times they could have done it better and they didn't you know? yes yes but, you um, know but it's why we love it yeah it i, I boston has given me a lot and yeah. um boston has not done that for everyone and so this is part of the way I can address some of those things.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dana, yeah. thank you for a fabulous conversation and thank you for many, many years ago suggesting I joined Sisters in oh, Crime. Um, sure. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, thank you for all the work you do. It's, it's, uh, it's inspiring to see somebody who is making shifts and trying out different things i think that we
1: all could use that inspiration sometimes thank you and i'm i'm so glad that uh you 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 joined sisters in crime because you've been a force for good with the organization (laughs) on so many levels um and i i thank you for that work and i'm delighted to see how your your career is going it's all wonderful (laughs) but it's um i've i've had a lot of support and i've had a lot of luck and a lot of privilege that's allowed me to try these different things and and i'm really grateful for that and i'm grateful that people are still interested yeah no it's wonderful
0: it's wonderful well best of luck with the new book and um i hope
1: to see you soon thank you so much julie thank you for all your awesome questions see this (laughs) is a lot of fun